So we've been worshiping the Lord today. Hopefully our heart is aligned with him and we're ready to receive a word from the Lord today. But if not, let's have another chance to not miss the opportunity we had today and just to refocus and just to get our minds where it need to be, not daydreaming, not think about what's coming on this week, just to focus on the Lord and his word and what he said to us and just join our hearts together and confess together by saying the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God are all we need and we need each desperately. Second Samuel chapter five. Second Samuel chapter five. God has been at work. It may have seemed to David that there were times that God wasn't at work, but God has been at work. There have been lots of problems, lots of trials, lots of struggles for David. There have been lots of times where I'm sure when he was all by himself thinking about things, he wondered if anything was going to come to pass, if he had missed it. I wonder if he thought that uh, God had changed his mind, that he would be the king. I'm sure there were some times of confusion. We know there were. He had lapses in decision-making. We'll see today that he continues to make poor choices at times. He takes, he makes great choices at times. He makes poor choices at times. And it's been a difficult process from the call of God in his life, from being a shepherd boy in the fields to becoming the king of all of Israel. It says in verse 1 that all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, we are your own flesh and blood. Finally happened. We are your own flesh and blood. And then they said, in the past, verse 2, in the past. That's an interesting statement there. They say, looking back, we now see what we needed to see then. Looking back. You know, it's really important that we look back. It's really important that we not ignore the past, that we not ignore history, and just as it's important that we look back to see what all God has done and we take inventory of our past, it's really important that we not live there. It's really important that we not stay there. With God being God and living in us, his tomorrows are always crucial for us. His todays are crucial. And with the Lord, we should never live in the past, but we should always live in the now looking forward to the new days. Trusting God for today, trusting God for tomorrow. But every now and then, it's a good thing for God to put us in a place where we are forced to think about the past. Uh, this, uh, if, if I get a little bit uh, off track today, forgive me. We got back at Robert Robertson and Kyle Y. Myself got back from Mexico at 4 o'clock this morning. So, you know, the old brain ain't all there. Never is probably, but today for sure it's not there. Now... I was forced this past weekend to do a lot of remembering the past. Now, Presidio, Texas has not changed. The bank is being renovated, looks really new, but that's it. Everything else is the same. There's one restaurant that I noticed had taken an old house and, and put something in called the, the spicy bean or something like that, but everything is the same. El Patio, for those who went to Mexico with us and helped build that church at Oanaga, uh, El Patio restaurant is still there. 
It looks exactly the way it did the last time I was there 12 years ago. The beans are absolutely as good as they were 12 years ago. Unbelievable beans. And I was sitting there and I walked in, I looked over where the pots were and the same pots are there. I, I don't think they've improved on the pots. They're still the same pots, I reckon. And I sat down there and said, you still got those good beans over there in that pot? And the same waiter that's been there the whole time, he's still there. He said, yep, brought your beans right over there. And so I went over there and got me some beans and sat down and I went, oh man, that's good. The bathroom is still there. The bathroom that uh, I remember fondly because Wisconsin Tom Horrath, I guilted into taking a big dose of that brown hot sauce that they serve there that is really hot and not knowing that he had some kind of esophagus issue. <laughs> if I'd have known that, I would have been a little more gentler to him. But that morning I was talking about how people from Wisconsin ain't got any real guts about them and they're weak-minded and all those things. And you're one of them, Tom Horrath. And I know you won't take a big spoon of that hot sauce and put it on your burrito. And he sat there and he said, I will do it. I said, no, let me take a big spoon. Get you a big dose of that. Let's see, Wisconsin boy down here, how tough you are. And, and I remember Tom got that spoon and put it on that burrito. And he took a bite. We heard a few noises. The next thing I know, he was throwing up in that bathroom. That hot sauce went right to whatever his esophagus problem was. And he was done. I remember saying, I might not. I should have done that. You know? <laughs> but I remembered that. I remembered that. So. Go across. Now, going across the border, it's all the same on our side. On their side, they've completely remodeled, got a new uh, how to get in there type plan, new buildings and stuff. That's the only thing that I could see except for a couple of supermarkets and stuff that's changed in Oanaga. And I'm sitting there waiting for the service to begin. We're down there for the 12-year anniversary of the church. And they asked me to go preach for them. And Kyle's going to share his testimony. And Robert's going to share a little bit. And so I'm sitting there. And Alma, who is the pastor's daughter, she comes and sits by me. And she points out the sheet of hands that we made down there on our very first trip. And they've got a picture of the very first group that went down there. Myself and Susan, our youth minister, left right before that trip was to take place, and me and Susan took the kids down there. And so when we were leaving, we had a picture taken, and uh, they, had, they had a circle around where the land was, where the church now sits, that as a result of that first trip, we built a building. The Lord used us to build a building down there. And she's asking about different people in that picture. And so I was forced to remember. And uh, uh, Allison Evitz was in that picture. And uh, she's now a, a, past, a minister's wife in Georgia, takes pictures, and she's got kids. And um, uh, both of the Hayden girls is that picture. And I said, you know, one of them just adopted a baby, and they're both married and involved in ministry over in Dallas. And she asked about Drew White. And I said, yep, Drew's, Drew's living in Virginia, and he's, he's the children's pastor in, at McLean Bible Church. And uh, with David Platt's a pastor. Oh, Drew's a big timer out there in the church world. And uh, uh, he went, really? Wow. You know, and I said, that's Cameron Klein there. Cameron is married now, and, and he married a Brazilian girl, and they've got a baby. And Cameron is involved in international missions here in the, here in the States. He's a, 
uh, got involved with it at Dallas Baptist University, and he's really involved there. And he's been working with international students for a long time, and the Lord's been using him. And 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 I was just going through, and I it, it, the the picture was fuzzy. I think I saw Austin Mendenhall in there, and and he's involved in ministry still, and he's an engineer in Midland, and he's married. And it was it forced me to remember the past, and and I said, yes, that's Lee Brewer. He's changed a lot and but that's beautiful Susan Brewer she's perfect as always there and all that is good to go and it forced me to remember and uh, they were remembering 12 years ago and they told the story in Spanish so I don't know what the story was but they looked at us and clapped and they were very appreciative of us and uh, it was a pretty neat deal that the Lord used us to build that church there well um uh, the very last trip we had um, was laying the tile in the building. And when they when that group came back, George Pittman was there. And George, an artist, as you remember, and he would draw things. And and he, so they cut that last piece of tile and, and one part went to the floor and the other part went in George's hands. And George drew a picture of the little houses in that mountain that's right there beside the, the Oenaga. And uh, it said, the last tile, April 11th, 2008, and uh, Oenaga, Mexico, and he signed it just uh, GP. And he came back and he gave that to me. And before I was leaving, uh, Amber said, Lee, we, we, we found that tile. You know, they, I don't have an office anymore, and so they cleared my stuff out and stuff. And so... She gave me that tile and she said, you might want this. Oh yeah, I need to take that down there with me and give it to the pastor. What a great gift. And so at, in, the, in the service, um, I took the tile and um, presented it to the pastor. And when I did that, I told a story about George. I talked about his heart for missions, about him being a Shakespeare man and all those things and, and how the Lord had used him in his life. And he's now with the Lord, of course. And, uh, and so anyway, I handed it to the pastor and said, I just want to give this to you, present this to you in honor of uh, these 12 years of ministry here in Oanaga. And he took it, and of course they're interpreting all that for him. When he took it, he looked at that, that tile. He started crying. And of course I got real uncomfortable. I didn't know why he was crying, but he was moved with great tears and he puts his head in my shoulder and you know, and everybody's, oh, and his kids are crying, and it's a bit emotional scene. And I don't know why the man's crying. I don't know. I, I don't know why he's crying. I just know that I wish he would quit and get off my shoulder. And Because it was awkward. And, you know, I said, dude, you don't cry about these things. You move on. You know, that's so, you know, don't do this. But anyway, it's a special moment for, for him and them. And in that special moment, uh, it dawned on me that he is reliving history. He is, he's gone through hard times there. You know, at one time, it was really difficult there with the cartel. At one time, it, it's a difficult place to preach the gospel. It's a different, difficult place. Uh, they share with me how in, in Mexico, it's, it's customary now that there's a group of people that go from church to church to church and they cause all kinds of problems in that church they were at and move and it's hard on them. You know, it's very difficult and there's lots of different opinions and mystical things and spiritualism going on and it's a hard place. And I'm sure that a whole bunch of emotions just flooded from that guy as he remembered the past.
Now, it's helpful to remember the past because it helps us to see what all the Lord has done. When, you'll, when you allow yourself to look back at your life, you can see how faithful God has been to you. Now, you don't stay there in the past. You always take what God shows you and you move forward to the present and then forward in faith to the future. But it's a good thing to look back because it helps you to take an objective spiritual inventory of all that God has done. And it'll encourage you. It'll strengthen your faith. It'll give you what you need to handle today by faith and then be able to move forward by faith, right? In the past, they said here in verse 2, when Saul was our king, you were the one who really led the forces of Israel, and the Lord told you, you will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord with all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel. So the people come together and have an objective inventory of the past, and their conclusion was, let's follow God's directions and let's coronate David as our king. It's the Lord's will. That was a positive thing that happened from looking in the past. So there at Hebron, he was coronated as king of all Israel. Verse 4, it says, David was 30 years old when he began to reign. So he was a teenager when he faced Goliath. And so many, many years has gone by, perhaps 10 to 15 years has gone by from the initial calling of God on his life to be coronated king of Israel. That's a long time. That's many years. That's many ups and downs. That's many mistakes made. Can you think about all the mistakes you've made in the last 15 years? I, I can think of a few. I've made many, many, many mistakes in the past 15 years. I'm sure I'm going to make a few today. And most likely in the next 15 years, Lord willing, I'm going to make mistakes. There's going to be many ups and downs. Same for you. You look back and you evaluate the many years. You look back and you evaluate that you've had lots of ups and downs. You look back and you go, man, I've made lots of good decisions, and man, I have made lots of poor decisions. Lots of poor decisions. I mean, that caprice. <laughs> what a bad decision that was. Many lessons learned in the past 15 years for David. Many, many achievements, many successes, and many failures. And it's all there. But what rises to the top for David is my lands. Look how the Lord has worked. I mean, the battles that we have gone through together, the struggles, the I, David's life was threatened for 15 years by the king. 
the king that was a cheer shucker. I mean, it was a bad deal. David had a hit out on his life. And I'm sure as he looks back and he takes spiritual inventory, objective spiritual inventory, he had to go, oh my, look at all that we've been through. Now, what would that do for him today? It says he was 30 years old when all this began, and he reigned for 40 years in all. So it took 30 years to get him there, and then after that, he reigned for 40 years. And so his past gave him what he needed to really be faithful in his future. That's a good reason to remember the past. He had reigned over Judah from Hebron for seven years and six months, and for Jerusalem he reigned over all Israel and Judah for 33 years. Think back today. Spend some time out there on your porch. Think back. Remember. You might get you a journal and start writing things down. Remember what the Lord did in that problem you had 10 years ago. Remember that business problem you had. Remember that relational problem you had. Remember that time that you lost your job. Remember that time that you didn't know what tomorrow held for you. Remember that time that the illness came. Remember that time that you struggled with your parents through an ordeal. Remember back when your kids were going through a real hard time and look at them now. Remember back. Remember back. Be objective about it. See what the Lord has done. And celebrate it and worship that coronation that God is our king. And move forward. And move forward. I think that when we look back, and we see how faithful God has been to us, it takes quit out of us. It takes the quit out. That quit that's in all of us, it takes part of it out. I can't quit the next 15 years. Look how faithful God has been to me the past 15 years. I need to embrace Him today and move forward, celebrating the future, regardless of what it looks like, because regardless of what it looks like, God is still sovereign on His throne, and no one is stronger than God. And I believe I can move forward in faith. Winston Churchill it took him three years to get through the eighth grade because he could not pass English grammar. Now, I'll admit this, but most of you probably are not secure enough in your academics to admit this. But if you were to sit me down with a sentence and tell me what the adverb was, I would begin to sweat bullets. Now, I think I can get the, the noun and I can get some adjectives down, but when you start talking about, uh, you know, the participle things and all those things that are part of that, I, I, I just would go, it's a hard thing for me. And it's good for me to hear that it took Winston Churchill three years to get through the eighth grade because of that. Me and Winston might be related. Now, years later, he was asked to speak at the Oxford University's commencement. That's quite unique, isn't it? That's, that's quite ironic, I think is the word. And I don't know if that's an adjective or a noun or a verb. And the story is that 
Winston-like. He had his cane, his proper English bowler cap, his suit, and his cigar. And he walked to the podium and he took his, he put his cane to the side. He took his hat and put it on the podium and, and held a cigar in his hand. And he stood there for a while after being introduced. And then with a loud voice, he said these words, never give up. And he waited for a while. And then they said that he stood on his toes and it was like he just was putting all the energy he could muster and he just shouted with that powerful voice, never give up. And with that, he took his cigar, put it back in his mouth, got his proper English bowler cap, put it on, got his cane and walked off the stage. Now you think about that, never give up, three words in a commencement speech from Winston Churchill absolutely had to have been three of the most powerful words that came from that man. Because that man led the people of England not to give up in World War II. He would go on the radio on a regular basis when people were hunkered down in, in the subway. And like my mom and my grandparents were hunkered down out in, in Greenfield, England with black curtains on their uh, windows so the bombers, when they go over, couldn't see them. And they're all out there beside the house with their Mickey Mouse glass uh, hats on, my mother called them, and that was gas mask. And when the sirens would go, they would say, the Jerry's are coming. They would shut the, the black curtains and, and snuff the fire out the best they could, and they would go stand out there, and she, she remembers as a little girl how horrifying that was. And, and family from London came out and lived with them in the country so they could survive. And Winston would rally the people over and over and over, and he would rally the people by speaking about their great history and the people they are. He would say, look back, look back, look back, see what all we have done together, and then he would press forward and say, we shall not quit. I think if you'll look back, you'll be able to say, regardless of what I face, in the Lord's hands and by His power and His Spirit, I will not give up. I'm going to move forward. So, verses 1 through 5, I think, speak to us and says, look back and see what God has done and pull that forward and objectively realize what God has done and commit yourself that no matter what, I will not quit. I will remain faithful to God because he has been faithful to me. Verse 6, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites. The original inhabitants of the land who were living there, the Jebusites taunted David. I wonder if they got a 15-yarder when they taunted him. You'll never get in here. Even the blind and lame could keep you out. For the Jebusites thought they were safe, but David captured the fortress of Zion, which is now called the city of David. Finally, a place to call home. Finally, he settled is Jerusalem, the city of David, right outside the walls of uh, the Temple Mount. 
There he is. On the day of the attack, verse 8 says, David said to his troops, I hate those blame and blind Jebusites. Whoever attacks them should strike by going into the city through the water tunnel. That is the origin of the saying, the blind and the lame may not enter the house. So David made the fortress his home, and he called it the city of David. He extended the city, starting at the supporting terraces, working inward. And David began more and more powerful. David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Then King Hiram of Tyre sent messengers to David. Interesting enough, Tyre is up near Lebanon, near the cedars. And, and even in Mount Carmel, there's great pine trees that they could build from. But they talked about the beautiful, strong, luscious forest they called the Cedars of Lebanon in northern Israel and southern Lebanon, where they could get great building materials. And so the king of Hiramatyr sent messengers to David along with cedar timber and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built David a palace. The king needs a palace. A palace is a sign of authority and power. He'd been living in caves. He finally was able to live in Hebron, and he probably had somebody else's home. It wasn't a great deal. It didn't, it didn't speak to his power and his importance and his authority. But now he had a home, the city of David, and now the king of Tyre comes and builds him a palace fitted for a king. Now, look what happened when that took place. Verse 12 says, And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king with that experience. David probably had some stirring going on. The people finally have said, you're the king. And, and now another king acknowledges that David is a king by sending the materials and the workers to build him a palace. Oh, the floods of emotion that David went through. Maybe that's what Manuel Herta was going through when he saw that last tile, what it represented, what it meant. It meant to Manuel, I believe, I've been faithful. I've hung in there. I've remained loyal, committed to the Lord. I haven't quit. There's been hard times, difficult times. I embraced those challenges and I showed up and I kept on doing what I believe God wanted me to do. And so that is the kind of experience I reckon David's having at this point. And David realized that the Lord had confirmed him as king of Israel and had blessed his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. Have you had that experience? There's a, there's a chance that you've had this experience and you missed it. That might happen to a lot of us sometimes. God may send to us absolute verification of our faithfulness. You have been faithful, and I'm going to show you it by this sign. For David, it's a palace. For you, it may be something else. For you, it may be experience. For you, it may be an event. For you, it may be a person that comes and says, this is what you have done for me. That's why it's so important when you have a warming in your heart that you need to share with someone 
something that has happened to you and Lord has used them in your life that you share with them the difference they've made in your life because it may be this kind of verifying event that David had that people need to have to encourage them to help them to move forward and be faithful. When you have an, a, a, a thought of encouragement, a thought of inspiration, a thought of making a difference in someone else's life, by all means, don't sit on it. Don't die there. Let it fly. What could happen? You may just back into something and absolutely encourage someone to move forward, and you may never have any idea what that act of encouragement meant in that person's life. Don't hold back those things. And this king didn't hold back, and David was blessed by it. Now, verse 13, this is some scripture of grace. I'm just going to read it. If you've been here the last couple of times, you know what the scripture has to say about the king taking on many wives. It's forbidden. We've talked about how complicated David made his life. Wasn't a simple life that he chose. Verse 13, after moving from Hebron to Jerusalem, David married more concubines. That a boy, David. Man. He married more concubines and wives, and they had more sons and daughters. These are the names of David's sons who were born in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elashima, Elishama, Eliad, and Eliphaphet. Eliphaphet. I don't know how to say that. Lithalit. We don't know who most of these people are. This is their deal right here. They're in the book. We know Dathan and Solomon are. But David, he just couldn't help himself. Now, the lesson for us in this is, is this. It's obvious that we do not have to be perfect for God to use us. We shouldn't by any means intentionally break God's instructions. We need to be faithful with his instructions. But David received grace. For the mistakes that you make, don't let that be what makes you quit because God is faithful to you even when we make mistakes. God absolutely uses crooked sticks. And David moves on. He's got a palace. He's got a home. And then in verse 17, we see different plans, same enemy. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king of Israel, they mobilized all their forces to capture him. Them pesky Philistines. They're like the Oakland A's. They just won't go away. The Philistines heard. Now he fights the Philistines all his kingdom. All his kingship. He, he, he began with the Philistines. He ends with the Philistines. The Philistines keep on coming. You may have an enemy that keeps on coming. You may have an issue that won't go away. You may have a problem that you, you think you're down the road from and it reaches out and grabs you. That's the Philistines to David. But David was told they were coming, so he went into the stronghold. The Philistines arrived and spread out across the, the valley of Rephaim. 
So David asked the Lord, should I go out to fight the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? David is asking the Lord. The Lord replied to David, yes, go ahead. I will certainly hand them over to you. So David went to Baal Perazim and defeated the Philistines there. The Lord did it, David exclaimed. He burst through my enemies like a raging flood. So he named that place Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who burst through. The Philistines had abandoned their idols there. So David and his men confiscated them. At the end of verse 21, you go, that a boy, David, you finally did it. You're through with your enemy. Nope. Verse 22. But after a while, the Philistines returned. The enemy returned. The same old, same old returned. You experience that, don't you? You're identifying with that. You think you're through with a problem and my stars, after a period of time, that enemy regroups and comes right back at you. It says, but after a while, the Philistines returned and again spread out against, out across the valley of Rephraim. And again, David asked the Lord what to do. Do not attack them straight on. Oh, wait a minute. We have, we have a common enemy. We have a common uh, solution model. That solution model is pray. David prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do about this enemy? Lord, what shall I do? So prayer is here and obedience is here. When we have the same enemy over and over and over, our response is the same, prayer and obedience. But look, different tactics from the Lord. Same enemy, different times, different times call for different tactics. That's why you don't really need to rely on what happened before spiritually. You need to go to the Lord when the enemy comes back again because there's a very good possibility that the Lord has a new plan for you to fight the same enemy. And that's what happened. And so we see here the importance of prayer. He says, don't attack them straight on, the Lord replied. Instead, circle around behind and attack them near the poplar trees. When you hear a sound like marching feet, the tops of the poplar trees, be on the alert. That will be the signal the Lord is moving ahead of you to strike down the Philistine army. Oh, and you need the Lord to move ahead of you when you're facing your enemies. And so prayer, put him there. Prayer and receiving the instructions, put him in a place where he could see the Lord move ahead of him. So David did what the Lord commanded. There you go. So David did what the Lord commanded. That's crucial. That perhaps is the reason why David was such a man at the Lord's own heart, according to the Lord. So David did what the Lord commanded. That could be your problem with the enemies that you face. That could be my problem with the enemies I face. We may pray. We may ask the Lord what we do. He gives us the instructions and we fail to obey. We just don't do it. So David did what the Lord commanded and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. 
Different plan, same enemy. Prayer, always. Obedience, always from us. But prayer is crucial every single time the enemy resurfaces because God often changes the plans. So look back. Take objective inventory of all that the Lord has done in your life. Don't stay there. Bring it forward. Bring the faith forward. Bring the worship forward. Bring the understanding of what the Lord has done forward and move forward in faith. Never live in the past. Always live with God for tomorrow. Always. Never, ever quit. Never quit. When the enemy shows up again, don't quit. Don't give up. Don't retreat. There'll come times when the Lord will reveal to you evidence of all that he has done. For David, it was a palace. For you, it may be a person's testimony. For you, it may be an event. For you, it may just be an awareness that God gives you of his faithfulness to you. But as you look back and see all the struggles, what God has done, it'll help you celebrate what the Lord has done when he shows you. And when the enemy returns, pray, receive the new instructions, and obey. David did what the Lord commanded. Father, help us to learn from 2 Samuel chapter 5. I'm thankful, Lord, for the gift of history, the gift of the past that helps us to see all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.